Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 95th episode of the PJ Archive. It's an interview I did with the brilliant English actress Helena Bonham Carter. It took place in 1989 when she was only 23 years old, but had already starred in several successful films, including A Room with a View, Lady Jane and Morris and much talked about television and theatre roles too. She has, of course, long since gone on to become one of Britain's biggest international stars. But here we were in her dressing room at a theatre in Surrey, where she was appearing in a play. You're in the the chalk garden here at the Ivanano. How did you get the part, and uh, what sort of a part is it? Well, there's a bit of a story behind it, because I originally went up for this role. I knew about about this play, which is very rarely performed. Um, was done in the 50s, written by Enid Bagnold, who wrote National Velvet. And I don't know why it's rarely performed, because I think it's a rather wonderful play, but I knew it was a wonderful play. It being very obscure, everyone was quite surprised. But I went up for the same part about four years ago, and I didn't get the part, but I remember the prose and the language, and it's very, very wonderful. And Ken Tynan, when it came out in the 50s, hailed it as a, this great new comedy. It was just before Look Back in Angus, so it was before the new influx of drama, but or new, great new renaissance, or change. But he said he talked about the something about like the ornamental bridges of metaphor and the frail causeways of simile, and it is very strange. It's sort of non-naturalistic, semi-poetic, and comedy, but not a light comedy, not of the drawing room comedy things that were going on at that time. It's quite deceptive because it's got great poetic resonance. That sounds a bit um, pretentious, but it does, really. I mean, I loved it. Anyway, so I went up for the part. As soon as I heard that they were doing it again, since it's so rarely done, I jumped at the part because my part, Laurel, is a gift of a part for somebody of my age who tends to get these sort of romantic heroines, which are, I mean, I can't grumble, but they, and that's about all I can play, but it's, this is more towards the character part. She's 16, um, so I'm, and pyromaniac, compulsive liar arrested development, deep disturbance, and there's an awful lot to play with, and funny. So I can go having a ball with it and um, being totally anarchic and childlike. It's wonderful to play a child because then you can really become retarded and regress. And it's very useful actually as an exercise for an actor because really all you want to do is regress as much to get that spontaneity, return to the childhood state. So I'm having great fun and I adore it. What are the plans for this production? The plans are... Well, it it opened in Windsor for four weeks and then Duncan Weldon took it up and decided to go on a tour. It's a rather short-lived tour. Guildford and then Cardiff. Two weeks... We're here at Guildford at the Eve on Erno and then uh, between... uh, In two weeks we'll go back... We'll go to Cardiff. And that's about it. There was possibility of going in, but taking it in, but I don't think he has a theatre to put us in because he's got so many things... I think it's a great pity because I think I want, I wish you do something and certainly it's the, I think, for me personally, I think it's the best thing or the most exciting thing I've done. I have not done much stage before. You've just been in The Woman in Black. I did do the, no, not The Woman in Black, that's another one, it's oh. The Woman in White, which was, I learned a lot doing it. I don't think I was particularly good in it, but this is a, again, you, it has to have the part and the play and this play is a wonderful play and also the part's a great vehicle for me, but... I wish more people could see it, and it's so absurd in a way. I mean, I'm much more proud of the work I'm doing in this rather than in A Room of the View, for instance. Mind you, I've given myself four years four years ago, so I've learned quite a lot on the way. And, um, Do you feel more at home in the theatre, then? I'm getting to be a more home. No, not more at home than the theatre the, or the camera. They came to film a bit of the camera, and I felt 
At first I forgot, thought I'd forgotten how to do it because I was playing it way over the top and too large and doing it all in the voice and really it seems to happen more, you become more minute and it's more tiny, I mean, and scrutinising. You have to, it's very, very delicate and it's wonderfully subtle but it all happens in the eyes. You have to, the changes in the, you, the really camera does enter your head and the, in the theatre you have to be much more open and freer and let it happen in the voice somehow and communicate what's happening in the pit and your emotions through your voice. But um, I do love the camera and, and also the whole mechanics and technical things of making a film and I find that fascinating. So both of them, but they're totally different disciplines. They're almost different professions or crafts. To what extent do you think you're getting this theatre work because of your film success and stuff like that? Certainly people have... Um, for Women in White, I did an awful lot of publicity for that. And, pe- and they were very... I had to audition and prove that I could do it. And likewise for this. But I would say that people are glad to have uh, somebody who can rope in, get a few bums on seats, only because they know I've got... I did, was in a film that was very successful. Um... You're and more I've got than to one be. Film which is very successful. Well, I think, yeah, I suppose so. But I'm having to learn. You see, I started off very much the wrong way around and was cast in a film that happened that became a great success. But I was in a very vulnerable position, and I am in a vulnerable position because I haven't sort of learnt my craft. I had to give myself time, four years, or I mean, you know, for these, just to make mistakes and allow myself to mis- make mistakes, which is very difficult in front of the whole public. And everyone's been on my back, and particularly. On stage, everyone was very, very... And I knew on my back to sort of damn me and say, well, she isn't that good, and she's not, she's only a film actress. But you have to just say, stuff them. Or, so what if you're bad? It doesn't really matter, you'll learn. And there's room for improvement. It doesn't mean that you're bad for this. You'll always be bad. People have to... If you're going to be prepared to be good, you have to be prepared to make mistakes and be make a fool of yourself. So do you think people are coming to see Helena Bonham Carter film star, then? Mm. They, I suppose, sometimes they are, or they expect you to see the girl in the room with a view. Hope, but Laurel is so different, um, and it's very, it's very good. And it's, but I wish, in some ways, that you know, in the reverse had happened. That I was, I was put Laurel on celluloid. It's very strange to put the difference of the um, in cinema. I mean, the verse, the sort of permanence of um, film, and how, in fact, without rehearsal, everything's sort of slapped up there. You tend to just do it versus in theatre the ephemeralness because it's a short it's not recorded and it's live obviously and that's but and yet you've worked up to that and you've worked at it more. I mean I wish in a way basically in I'm trying to say I suppose in film that you I wish you could rehearse. Do you get a bit fed up with being labelled with wrong with the view all the time? Yes you do. I suppose I do a bit because I, I don't I feel I've got better really and I wasn't I wasn't I love that film. Um, and it did an awful lot for me, and I can't um, demean it in any way because it's um, I owe an awful lot to it. But um, I hope to be able to, in the future, shirk off the image and to be more. No one likes to be pinned down. It's um, a bit like Julie Andrews and the Sound of Music. That's right, it? and it's it's very limiting as an actor. You don't want to be. Um, it's death to be predictable, and you want to achieve unpredictability and versatility and unexpectedness and catch people out and not be seen as one particular image because or you don't want to play the same role over and over again you want to be able to try on different characters how are you going to shake the tag off then well i am in the process i've done well this is obviously very different but as i say no one's seeing it as far as film 
well not no no one but it's not a widespread audience I've got to get over that one I'm I really want to work at my on stage more and as far as film wise I played uh, I've got a few films coming up and one in which I play it's a light comedy called getting it right English comedy n not ad 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 adapted from a novel by Elizabeth Jane Howard and it's uh, in it I play not a lead but a supporting role which is somewhat some ways better because you end up playing more sort of character roles and it is more of a character role she's a neurotic she's an anorexic neurotic and uh, modern too and I look totally different there. I've just been doing publicity for it and they all said oh but you're not Helena Barancaro it's just, you're just so different and oh gee and they got so um, but anyway that was quite fun to do and then that's totally different and that'll be good because it'll establish that I can perhaps do things other than period costume dramas I, the other film I've got coming out is about which is admittedly in the period that it I played it differently. It's a, I play a saint. It's a story of Francis of Assisi called Francesco, with Nicky Rourke playing Francis of Assisi, and directed by Liliana Cavani, who's an Italian woman director. But it's not, and I play a saint. Well, I thought I was going to have to play it like Olivia Hussey, or not to denigrate her, but I didn't want to play the sort of innocent um, Madonna-like, pure, you know, um, basically somewhat wet. I wanted to have the strength, some strength, and I've seen it, and I don't look because I've got this sort of short wig and look like a scarecrow more or less but I do have a certain stillness and I look somewhat older and I suddenly got better in playing with stillness on film and sometimes doing nothing is the most effective I've had on that. Seems that once you're in films you're away really, I mean certainly in your case you seem to be doing endless films now. Well it's touch and go, I don't know, it's a, such a fickle business and um, you don't know, sometimes it floods, it doesn't, you know, well, then there's nothing, it's desolate. I think you've got to get you what been I hate about for a long time, I had a period of um, no, I haven't actually over the past year. I've, in fact, it's been back to back all the way, which I'm very thankful for. But um, <laughs> touch wood. But um, sometimes it goes uh, for no reason. You just there isn't. I can I suspect it can, and you reach difficult difficult ages too. I think what I hate about the business about being an actor is that of your dependence on things, on fate and things being around. I think in the end you've got to try and achieve some autonomy, emotional and sort of career-wise, professional in the sense of either doing something, having another profession on the side or another hobby or which can become professional or getting work off, your gr off the ground. I mean, there is a, this sort of upsurge of people getting off their own companies and um, Kenneth Branagh being the pioneer or doing that in film or television. Were you pleased with your performance in A Room With A View or not? No, not particularly actually. I mean people say in America, I kept on denigrating, they say you can't do that because people are going to start believing you. I wasn't because I didn't really know what I was doing and I didn't have much control and I didn't find I deserved much sort of whatever, whether it was um, congratulations because I didn't feel I was doing anything. I've learned since that in fact you don't have to feel so guilty being that because often on film you don't have to do anything. You have to be truthful, but it doesn't mean that you have to put on a whole character. And I had this, which some people do, they think acting you have to be totally different, which I don't think is true. It's to do with portrayal of truth. So would you like to play it again, but uh, different? I would like to do it because I'd know more what I wanted to do with it and have, and um, I wouldn't, I would have had more fun doing it actually instead of walking around worrying off takes and thinking, oh God, let's get into the character. How many times have you seen it? Uh, I was I had to see that film in the first the year it came out 11 times 
and I haven't actually seen it. I saw it again s since, and I thought well, it wasn't that bad. There's some bits where I can obviously I can see that I don't know what I'm doing. Other bits, he used what um, my complete innocence of um, technique and film sense or acting, in fact. Well, you were supposed to be a young innocent anyway. I did. I just got very irritated by being called a young innocent because I thought I should be. I wanted to have the funny lines like Judy Dench or Daniel Day-Lewis or Maggie Smith. I felt like a stooge. But it's very important in like, the central role because you have to be sympathetic enough for the audience to identify with you. You're not the only one to have seen it about 11 times. Can you understand why it's so popular? I can see why, in the sense that, I mean, I can identify by thinking of other films that gave me similar pleasure. And it's to do, I think, I think, on, it's the tonic, I think, of the fact that it was an upbeat film. And it was romantic. And, but also it wasn't, it was quite well crafted in the sense that it wasn't, it was sentimental, but it had, was rooted because Ruth did it, and she's a highly intelligent and, and a wonderful writer herself. She wasn't over um, sentimental. Well, it was rooted in very finely observed characters, and it wasn't, you know, like, I don't know, broadcast news but put in period costume. It was quite well rooted, and it was funny too, and it made people laugh. And I think that's the thing of, I mean, when it basically comes down to it, it's does entertain people, making their days happier. And, and to escape to Florence, um, and the music was wonderful, and the visuals, and and you can generalise, and it sort of dampens it. But um, do you like watching yourself on screen as a whole? No, I, I shirk from it ter tremendously, and I, I don't like it at all because you're trying to sort of correct yourself all the time. You're always judging. It. You find you, I find it profoundly embarrassing. I always come out thinking, God, I was really bad in that, and feel and sounds surprised. My mother turns around and says, Oh, well done. And I thought that was wonderful. Or, not that she doesn't, she doesn't always, actually. I know, I find it very embarrassing. It's You feel total nudity. It's the sort of look of when you're looking in the mirror and it's seeing a photo of yourself looking really fat or a photo of yourself looking at your worst. And you think, and it comes about basically, God, no one's going to love me, I think, properly. I mean, not I mean, on a very basic level. I'm, I don't think that, but I think unconsciously. Have you ever gone into a cinema and watched your film with the rest of the public, as it were, to, to listen to it? To listen to things? Um, no, I haven't done really that. Does that appeal to you? It's quite weird to see it with it. I think I must have done it once uh, in a foreign country. It is weird, but again, again, I'm the first thing, if I want to go and see a film, I'm not going to go and see myself. <laughs> what about uh, the trappings of uh, the success as a film star, as it were? Do you get sort of hassled in the street and things like that? Um, I get hassled. I don't get hassled. Sometimes it's a bit, you want to just go and, I don't know, when you're tired and you want to, and people are looking at you, you feel like just saying, oh, bugger off, just don't look at me for, you know, stare, stare, yes, why not? I belong to you, don't I? And you can get a bit irritated, but most of the time you can just accept it. And sort of like, it's to do with the, you've got to be certainly generous in a way as an actor. I think, particularly on stage, I've learned, is that it's to do with giving. If you've given somebody pleasure, or hopefully, uh, you do in a way, part of you do, does belong to, and it's your willingness to communicate, so you do, I mean, I'm quite happy to just remain open, I mean, you know, if somebody d does... Can you give me some examples of when you've been caught out, as it were? What, when people have come up yeah. to see me? Yeah, Well, it just happened quite often, it's sort of... Um, do they always talk about a room with a view? They either stare. Here they stare. In America they come up to you and tend to go on and on about the effect of the film. Some people are more proprietary and feel that they, they can just 
and people sometimes find out my phone number and they will phone up and they almost you almost feel that they're quite they're very intrusive invasive only because they presume that you will want to speak to them that those are very few what about the advantages of, of being famous as it were oh they're great advantages and things and they're wonderful and it's sort of thrilling and I find it I do find it tremendously sort of romantic in that things like oh you you can walk into rest sometimes I walk into a restaurant and I will be recognized and people will smile and and you'll get a table without having to wait you can't get spoiled by it because then after a bit then you can feel yourself becoming revolting if you start feeling my god why didn't you give me to I don't know um, and publicity tours are great because you're treated very well do you feel like a film star no I don't and I as soon as I do then I'll be frightened I think do you behave like one I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. I think my parents keep me. Um, I think no. I don't. Don't really want to. Either. It's quite difficult for friends you've had for a long time, isn't it? To I find I admire them a lot. I've kept up with them, like my school friends and everything. And they're great, but I mean, I don't. That's the continuity because I haven't really changed them. I mean, I don't. The fact that they're still, they still. Um, we hang out together still and it sort of makes it because that's the real you know what you sort know of places do you like to hang out in well I don't go to disco we don't actually go to discos or anything like that but we just I don't know we go to um, well, I don't want to tell stage to say <laughs> but um, but we tend to meet up and we have our tea parties and, our, and we tend to sort of binge together and whatever do you go to the cinema much? Yeah, the I go to the cinema and theatre a lot. I'm so what have you seen recently that you've enjoyed? Yesterday I saw a wonderful, oh, quite recently I saw a wonderful film that will come out called Venus Peter um, about a small boy, a Scottish boy in Scottish um, Orkney Islands, in fact, a small fishing community with Ray McAnally and Sinead Cusack, and that was wonderful. It was wonderful photograph, photo, photography by somebody called Gabrielle Briston. I saw Baron Waterhouse and I saw My Life as a Dog, which was wonderful. Uh, Theatre-wise, I saw I went to New York about two weeks ago to do some publicity, and I saw Metamorphosis with Baryshnikov, and that was um, he was brilliant in that and totally unindulgent and totally you can identify with him in the most improbable situation of a man becoming a big beetle. I know again it's a metaphor, but you do feel the pain of it. Who do you admire? Um, Actor-wise, mm. is there anyone you'd go backstage to see? Oh, I love Hopkins and Bates, and um, you walk through, funny enough, and you see all these things, oh my God, I might be sharing the same walls with them. Yeah. Um, I like, um, I love Judy Dench, Maggie Smith, a sort of sudden work, Catherine Hepburn, I love on film, and... Um, Who are your great buddies in, in the business? In the business, I'm quite buddy, I'm quite friends with... Um, I did a thing, worked with Eileen Atkins last year, and I'm quite friendly with her. And Michael Byrne, who is, I did my Woman in White with, and his wife, Carol Nimmons, who was in fact with, with Alan Bates and mm-hmm. Melon here. Um, Anyone in Room with a View you're still in touch with? Room with a View, I'm quite uh, Rupert Graves, and we're mm. always quite friendly, but we sort of don't necessarily see each other much. And I mean, when we meet Judy Dench and, si- and Simon Callow, I see a bit here and there bump into them I'm very friendly with Merchant Ivory and stay in close contact with them although they live well whenever they're here but I do go on holidays and see the composer particularly you like travelling you're quite fond of it yeah I adore it where's your favourite place Florence I love Italy I do I spent four months there last year in Rome doing this film and I do like America Rome I do love Italy I 
I go like there like a shop for a holiday. But you'd live in London to Yes, I think so. I, I'm very much home-rooted with my parents and my brothers, and I've, I'm quite into sharing it a lot with my parents, and I get a lot of pleasure bringing things home. And, and then also they're very, they're very good at talking things out, and my mother's a psychotherapist, um, so she's very useful, and, and my father is very intelligent and rational um, and terribly compassionate man. So I'm very lucky to have them. In fact, that's a great privilege to have. Good Do you parents. live with your family still? And I still live with my parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you very protective over your private life? Yeah, I suppose so. Do you think you have to be? I mean, are you deliberately protective? Yes, because otherwise you feel sort of as if you, everyone, as if. Um, you're not you're doing yourself a disservice somehow. You've got to be kind to yourself, I think. Um, and no, it's horrible to read. I mean, I hate reading things that are written about me, whether even they're nice things on interviews, because you feel somehow denuded and very exposed. Um, and I always regret having done them, and yet you do them. And it sounds so foreign from you. You feel somewhat sort of and they edits you. You do. You can. You're not careful. You could go loopy doing with the fame bit. Now you're doing a TV play fairly soon called Arms and the Man. Oh, I've done that. Yeah, that's right. coming out. Yes, it's coming out soon, on yeah. April sixteenth. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about that? That was great fun doing because it was and it was very good because of shifting from that to um, as an intermediary between stage and um, I mean between film and stage. It was the first thing I did with a real proper text and a stage text. In fact, I wish I'd done it after doing the stage because my voice is much better equipped to deal with the Shavian lines and things. But um, anyway, I did do it, and it was directed by James Catherine Jones, who did Fortunes of War, who's immensely funny and energetic, and we had great fun doing it. It's a complete farce. It's a wonderful play. Did you have any funny moments? And we had hilarious moments. There was, also, the cast was Dinsdale Landon and Patrick Reichardt. And there was Pip Torrens, who was brilliant as Blinchley, and um, Patsy Kensit, and Kika Markham. We had a hilarious time, and it was just because... And I couldn't stop laughing. I, I do tend to corpse, and I corpsed... Corpse is a term for laughing, yeah. hopelessly, and sometimes painfully. Uh, I corpsed. I tended to do it all the time. And I, to the point it wasn't funny in the rehearsal, because Patrick Reichardt was so over the top, and I just... And also Jim was always fu- the director was always laughing alongside, and, was, and he did all these close-ups with dogs that were very funny. Dinsdale uh, Landon finally came up to me after me coaxing for seven minutes, and I had to stop the rehearsal. And he said, "Look, I know what it feels like. The next time you should take a pin and actually pin, stick it into you, because that's the only way it'll stop you. And you've got to stop it because the energy you lose, in a way, I could see you're not channeling it into your fil- into your work. You're losing it." And also it means that you're not concentrating. Also it means you're embarrassed in some way or you're frightened. It's so did you stick a pen in yourself? I didn't, but I stopped after that because it was such a horrific occasion. What was it like to work with uh, Patsy Kensett then? Well, Patsy, I was all prepared to dislike, really, before I met her because I thought, oh, God, I'd read all these interviews. And then when I met her, she was just so incredibly um, natural, down-to-earth, incredibly professional. It's learning our lines on the first um, day and very open and no edge, very intelligent too. And I'd read these things and I said, and I thought that she'd, um, and I'd taken instant sort of prejudice against her. And then I suddenly thought that the amount of people who are doing the same thing about me, and people have said, oh, I thought you were really arrogant. 
and I think, my God, and I get a bit shirty. I say, God, I'm not, you know, and but you can get a bit paranoid about people forming, you know, judgments about you just from interviews, and they do, and I do, and I realise I do it all the time. So it taught me about something about pe- not caring about what people think, because often impressions gain through, inevitably through um, the press media, whether it's even on radio or particularly though on the printed page. If we can just talk about your ambitions then. My ambitions, well, I think in this business you can only sort of work on, because um, you have to really adapt to whatever happens. But what I'd like to do, also I'm very tentative about voicing it because it can sound very... I mean, all I wanted, I really want to, at the moment, my thing next is really to work more on stage. And ideally speaking, I'd love to have a career that's that moves fluidly as possible between stage and film, really. What are your immediate plans? My immediate plans are... I Actually, I have no immediate plans. I've got a possible film that might happen, um, but I can't really talk about that, I guess. So, <laughs> I don't know. But it's no much point talking about it because it's not certain. And Or then there's a possible continuance of stage, but in obscurity of another provincial... Well, no, not another provincial thing. But no diversions into music. Well, actually. I want to do Shakespeare, actually. This is the, this might be Shakespeare, and this is what I want to do pretty soon. Only to do, to try it out, and then so in some obscure place, so I can fall flat, be able to fall flat, uh, and be necessarily bad. Or I might end up being reasonable, I don't know. But at least to try it out, so I can have another batch at it later, but having had the practice, because I'm really doing drama, what I didn't do at drama school um, now. 